Hello everyone, my name is always Asmal. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk career experiences, entrepreneurship and investments. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than just climbing the corporate ladder. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube and the show will be available on podcast by tomorrow morning. For those of you who've watched quite a few of these episodes, if you know anyone who would benefit from watching, please share it with at least one person. Now, if you're joining us live, drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves and drop a two in the comments if you're watching the recording. My guest for this week is Dominique Battle, a chartered accountant working for a multinational company with a base in South Africa. She previously worked in England and was also an academic trainee. Dominique, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Let's jump straight into it. Tell us your story. Where do you come from? And even outside of work, who is Dominique Battle? Give us that backstory. So maybe just a quick, I guess, where or who I am outside of work. So I love to do tons of different things. I think most people know every month or so I've got a different hobby, which I enjoy. I like to keep it interesting and do very things. Um, but I have a dog, which I love. So I'll talk about my dog for hours on end um, and obviously being outdoors with him, spending time with friends, um, your classic South African love to go to a good braai. Um, I love to play computer games. So that's probably where my love for technology comes from or starts from is really from gaming. My brother is a very good computer gamer and um, I've just been trying to catch up since I was about 13. So that's uh, what I like to do for fun. Um, and yeah, some other things, I guess, like puzzles, like oh, lots of different activities. I think the biggest puzzle I made was like 9,000 pieces in the, UK, in the UK, which was quite fun. Um, but yeah, that's generally me. I just love to experience new things and I kind of apply that to my work as well, which is how I have a bit of a, let's say, like colored history. I want to say we have done lots of different uh, things. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's basically just me from a personal side. And actually, I must add that I love to eat. I can't say anything about myself without saying that I love to eat. Everyone knows I'll sit down, I'll order the most food, and I'll love every bite, every second of it. Um, so from a work side, I'm not really sure. I think I did accounting in school. And so because I did accounting in school and I was good at it, you know, I sort of was pointed towards the chartered accountant route. I was pretty determined to get a professional qualification because my parents hadn't gone to university and yeah, they'd worked really hard to make sure that I have that opportunity. So I wanted to kind of use it really well. Um, so I was looking at the chartered accountant route and then my mom also mentioned actuarial science because I was good at math. So, in deciding between the two, um, I looked at what you do at university and I saw that basically if I started in chartered accounting and changed my mind, then I'd have to like repeat first year. So I started in actuarial science because I knew I could move to the CA in the second year if that's what I wanted. Um, that was what I wanted. So <laughs> because I spent the year, I enjoyed all the courses that we did, you know, it's more intensive math, more intensive uh, statistics, but I spent that time, you know, unfortunate enough that my mom worked with actuaries and CAs and 
she's a very well-liked person. So she was able to arrange tons of meetings. And I basically spent my first year meeting with actuaries and CAs, asking them how they got to where they got to and about their journey. And I really enjoyed how diverse the CA side was about where they ended up and um, the experience that they had to get there. So after first year, I moved to chartered accounting. Um, I was still like hedging my bet. So I did a finance, like Bachelor of Business Science with finance with honors, just in case I wanted to do finance. I did not want to carry on further with hectic finance. The honors year was good, but I remember I came home from the exam crying. Like, you know, I wasn't able to 100% with what I was doing or whether or not I was doing the right thing. And then I did my uh, postgraduate diploma in accounting. So all of this was at UCT. And then um, during that time, I wanted to make money as well on the side. You know, uh, I think a constant hustler is how I might describe myself. So I tutored um, like privately and with the university. And then after postgraduate diploma in accounting, it was sort of a natural choice to give the academic traineeship ago, which is where you can spend your first year of articles um, at university lecturing. And yeah, I lectured financial reporting for that year, and that was really good. Um, it was a challenging year, I think, for the university um, and for the students because Fees Must Fall was starting like at the end of my GDA year and um, throughout my academic traineeship year. But it definitely taught me a lot about perspective. You know, initially when the protest started, which is really based in access to funding or access to education and equal access to opportunities um, when you're there, and that started at the end of my GDA year. And I was at that time trying to write my exam, you know, stick with the plan, write the exam here, get there, finish your board exam here, you know, everything at a certain time in a certain month. Um, so initially, I think I wasn't very sympathetic to the cause at all, actually. And then when I was an academic trainee, I looked at, I was able to see the entire cohort of students that actually attend the university and I obtained a much better understanding and perspective around why that was actually a necessary thing to highlight, a necessary thing to happen. Um, and again, yeah, I gained a lot of perspective actually and realized, you know, I really need to try to always take the other perspective into account um, and look outside of my own, you know, feelings towards the situation. And then after that, I went to PwC for my second and third year of articles, that was PwC in Cape Town. Um, and again, things didn't go according to plan. Like when I signed my academic, um, sorry, when I signed my traineeship, you like selected a department at the time and there was financial services. So my parents were bankers. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then there was um, what was called SIPs, which was like, sorry, consumer goods retail, you know, manufacturing. I wasn't that keen on that. I wanted to go straight to like the technology, communications, entertainment. And then when I arrived at PwC in that year, TICE had been dissolved and SIPS and TICE had been joined together for CT1. So at first I was a bit irked by it because I was like, I really wanted to just be in those industries. But 
looking back again, it was really good. I got so much experience to all sorts of different industries. Um, and I found that I enjoyed quite a lot of other stuff. There were some really great audits and really good experiences that I had with renewable energies, with manufacturing, um, with retailers. And I wouldn't have gotten that experience if I had just been in my original bucket. Um, so I'm glad life had other plans for me. Um, a few curveballs. Yeah, a few curveballs, but it's fine. You know, you know, as you say, we move, right? You just got to take the curveballs and run with them. And I think when I was younger, I definitely probably took longer to run with the curveballs. But um, yeah, over time, you find that it's just a part of adapting and moving forward and everything, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I was glad about all of those situations. And again, because of that, I was able to stay in another nine months um, as a senior associate. There were a couple of these jobs like housing, financial services jobs, um, where they were just slightly too small, let's say for a manager. And so I essentially ran a lot of those jobs for a specific partner for nine months. Um, and that was really great. Like I loved going to the clients and I loved working with the teams. Um, and I loved coaching because, you know, I love my experience at UCT um, and I love lecturing. So um, that was nice to be able to do that as well for a while. Um, and then that contract expired and I wasn't keen to pursue being a manager here. So I entered my first period of fun employment, um, which is always fun until like you run out of money. So I did that for a while and then that was great. And I did like creative things like I made like dream catches on the side, you know, <laughs> just uh, random fun things. And then, of course, you know, it was time to get a job. And so they were lots of opportunities for people to go overseas. And so I thought, well, you know, obviously I did the senior associate thing here. I'll just go and do it there. Um, pretty much, you know, an easy arrangement. And then I went over to the UK for, so that was in uh, February 2020. Ooh, and wow, just before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, you know, the plan was to go over audit in the week, travel on the weekend, you know, um, like work hard in the week, party hard on the weekend. But then as I left, the borders closed and COVID, you know, that entire year of COVID started as we know it. Um, so the meeting the clients and the things that I really enjoyed about auditing kind of disappeared in like a moment's breath. Um, and I spent a lot of time indoors working remotely, which I discovered I wasn't that well suited for. Um, and so in that very same year, I was on a plane back to South Africa. Like, I think the day before they closed down Heathrow, I was on that plane and leaving. Um, and then I was back in South Africa. And then I entered my second period of fund employment. Um, so that was a, it was a good time also to reflect on the experience, what worked, what didn't work. You know, I reached out to people within my network, mentors and, you know, other people and discussed uh, the best way forward for me. I was starting to worry that I could only spend nine months at a company, which is becoming a bit concerning. Um, so after that period, I started my job search in earnest and the first role that I saw was um, an impact.com revenue accounting role. 
And whilst I lined up other interviews, like that was my main, you know, big fish that I really wanted. It seemed to tick all the boxes. It was a very progressive and inclusive company. Um, it, I would be able to do technical work within there, you know, like technical accounting work. So you're not, you don't always get that opportunity, but um, as a subscription, as a service company, you know, that, that revenue is inherently complex. So it was in tech, so very fast paced. So I felt like I wouldn't get, um, I wouldn't sort of outgrow the role quickly. And yeah, it just overall seemed to tick all of the boxes. And once I had my first interview, I was pretty much hooked. Like I loved the people. I loved the people that I chatted to. And I haven't looked back since. So now I'm thankful to announce I went past the nine months, been there for two and a half years. So it was a good fit. Um, and yeah, now I'm spending a lot of my time problem solving in the fields. Um, but definitely, yeah. So doing the revenue accounting for this software as a service company, um, all the associated streams related to that. Um, I get to work with lots of different departments, you know, because you really have to understand the business uh, when you do the revenue accounting. And definitely there's a focus on automation, which I love as well. I love being able to improve every day um, and to, it's, it's just interesting to be part of a project as well to automate something because you have to get the whole business on the same train. And that's sometimes a bit trickier than, it, than you may think it is. Um, the I want to ask you a little bit about that. I mean, this last company, the company that you're working for is obviously it's global, multinational, and you're working with, I'm assuming, colleagues around the world. How do you manage working with colleagues from other countries who are sitting in other time zones? Do you have to work late at night or early in the morning? Tell us a little bit about that. That is a great question. Um, I want to say yes and no. So that's why I enjoy the company I'm at and the approach that they have to the employees and to the culture. You know, there's very much a focus on flexibility. So sometimes there is a case where I do need to chat. Generally, you will be able to find overlapping time zones. Sorry, just to start off with. Generally, you try and find a spot that overlaps between everyone's working day. But it's not always possible. Sometimes there's an urgent meeting to be had. Maybe I need to get up at 8 a.m. to talk to someone in Australia. Um, then I'll just take a longer lunch break. I'll finish earlier. You know, you kind of structure your work day to make sure that you're not working, you know, from noon till midnight. And I mean, scheduling and planning plays a lot of time into it. You know, if you know that you have in this month, there are three meetings that you have to have that have to be late, you know, don't structure them all in the same week, you know, spread them out um, and make it so that you can have a flexible day. So you have to be mindful of the time zones. Obviously, you know, if you, you know, sometimes it can't be sending out an invite to a meeting and it's at 2 a.m. someone else's time, you know, I mean, I wouldn't even bother to respond to such a thing, you know. Um, there's lots of gadgets that you can use as well. You know, I've got this thing called, what is it called? It's like, a, it's called Savvy Time. And it's got like a little slider and I basically say, okay, four o'clock South Africa. And then I can see that's the time in Singapore. That's the time in New York. That's the time in Sydney. So it's just being mindful of the time zones, but know that the idea is not that you work from noon until midnight. And, and if I do, you know, people will make comments about if everything is fine because I'm online like, all the time. People are concerned in the company you know, about uh, your well-being. Oh, that, that's a that's a good place to be. 
and I'm assuming also working with a with a US or international company, they've got US bank holidays, and then you have yeah. SA public holidays. Do you get to do you take your public holidays in South Africa or do you take the US bank holidays? How does that work? It's a great week for it because we have like a global company holiday on Friday that we're taking. But again, I think that this company has a very good approach. Um, even with the remote working, there's a weekly huddle for company communications and everybody to just get on the same page. And there's like this calendar of every single holiday, you know, um, every religious holiday and um, to be mindful of those colleagues. So generally, we wouldn't get US public holidays, we'll get South Africa public holidays. Um, the US will get their public holidays, but not ours. Um, and they, like I said, there's some global company holidays where the entire you know, company is supposed to be off, um, except for like skeleton crew. But I think they, they definitely communicated very well. And it's, it's also very nice when you've got such a clash of, well, not a clash, but a mix of cultures and diversity that in that weekly huddle, you know, they will announce the holidays, but not only the holidays, but what they mean as well and explain and also have people from that culture or that religion explain the holidays, um, which is very helpful and yeah, informative. Have you had opportunities to travel yet or have you been purely based in with, South Africa? With the company, no, I've been purely based in South Africa, but uh nudge nudge wink wink if the vp is watching um but you know they did get me my us visa uh, recently <laughs> so you know I, yeah so that yeah so that i'm available you know to go um if need be but definitely other people in the company have traveled um with the company they've gone to like we have this um it's called the ipx so it's like a partnership experience conference there's one in london sydney and um in the us as well and so some managers and directors went over for the US one. Um, there were some team leaders that went over for the one in London as well, um, which is a great time to meet people in person that you've just been talking to, you know, on Zoom and uh, over the calls. So, yeah, there are opportunities, but watch this space. Not yet. Uh, maybe soon. Hopefully soon. For the audience, we'll be responding to questions towards the end. So please add your questions to the comment section now so that we don't miss them. Talk to us a little bit about your experience of working in England. You mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the experience, but why why did you decide on England as opposed to, I don't know, the US or continental Europe? What was your thinking behind that? So, it's not a lot of good thinking of this one, but uh, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. And so that's the saddest thing. I didn't even get to see these things because they were closed down. I did go to King's Cross. I did take a photo with the trolley in the wall and I did get myself a Slytherin house jersey that's about it so I love Harry Potter and yeah um I always thought you know London UK seemed very interesting um and I mean I was fascinated when I went there as well with the place you know like even if you go on the tube I mean it's weird that I think about it but like if you enter with one card you can't exit with another like I played around and gave it a go it wouldn't let me wouldn't let me through I had to use the same you know, debit card that I used to get in with. Um, and I just find it very interesting to see how, you know, a more developed country works as well. So, yeah, I think my first inkling was really just the Harry Potter business. Um, and it seemed like a good place to go. Yeah. Harry Potter is a fair reason. I, I got the trolley photo. <laughs> 
Now, I noticed like many academic trainees, they go back to academia after, uh, after articles, but you decided, no, you're going into corporate. Uh, how was your academic trainee experience and or how has it helped you in your, in your corporate role? Well, you know, it's actually funny. I guess I must just add here that I did actually initially think about going straight back into academia when I came back, but they weren't hiring for anyone. Um, and then I started my, you know, my job search. So again, I, I had I had plans, but life had other plans. Um, and then when they did open up the jobs, I had been in this role now for almost a year, and I was absolutely addicted to to what I'm doing. Um, so the timing just didn't work out. But yes, maybe one day I'll go back to academia. Um, how has it helped? You know, I think I think your academia and doing your academic articles firstly helps you realize that you don't know a lot um, because you've got these students asking you questions and you'll go and lecture something as in your mind basic as accounts one you know you're now doing fourth year accounting you've written your first board exam you know you're all about deferred revenue and group of consolidation you're just trying to explain to someone the accrual method you know and then they come out with a question that you actually don't know the answer to um, so that experience does help you realize that there's a lot of knowledge and to approach everything with more of like a growth mindset, um, which I think makes you actually more adaptable as a person and a bit more um, agile because you're not really trying to find a specific answer. You're really just trying to find the best answer for everything. Um, so, yeah, I would say that definitely assisted me. And I think obviously the technical side of it, now I do a bit more technical stuff as well. So the experience I had when I was a academic trainee, like you just got to put up your hand to do things. I did all sorts of weird things like workshops and I helped this lecturer with all the examples for like a textbook, you know, there's some textbook in the world that's full of Game of Thrones examples and that is uh, me. So <laughs> there's Game of Thrones and I think some Harry Potter stuff in there as well. <laughs> so somewhere in the world that textbook is there. Um, but yeah, it just helped me realize like projects as well, working towards the final goal. Um, yeah, and then obviously when you go into your articles at the firm, you don't know anything but you're a second year clerk. So you're a second year trainee and you're going to spend six months just needing to ask everyone what's going on. You know, so that makes you not afraid to ask questions because you get used to the fact that, you know, you don't know everything and that it's fine to ask questions in the beginning and um, to learn from it. And would you recommend the academic trainee route for someone who is not planning on going back to lecture? Of course, like there's lots of things that I've said that I've done that didn't work out for me. And I would recommend all of them to anybody that has the opportunities to do it because, you know, you never know what you are or not going to like. And even if you spend the year and you realize, you know, you're probably not going to be an academic one day, you know, at least you've had that experience and at least you know, you know, what you may or may not um, want to do. Okay. I have a few more questions, but there's questions flying in from the audience. I want to jump over to them. Got a few questions from this Frank guy. I don't know if you know, but he says, <laughs> what, what would your advice be for someone working for a multinational corporation on how to bridge the culture gap? while still delivering high-value work? Well, that's quite an interesting question. I was quite concerned Frank would come with some hard-hitting questions because every month that he stands up and does a meeting with us, I, I've got a lot of hard-hitting questions for him. Uh, so, touche, Frank. 
on that one. Um, so I think the first step would be to acknowledge that culture and the culture at work um, as a whole 100% supports the objective of delivering high value work. You know, when you have a team that works really well together, when you have a team that respects each other and a team that celebrates each other's cultures, um, you find that people put more effort in or not put more effort in, but the output of the work naturally just elevates um, on its own. In terms of bridging the culture gap, you know, my answer is always that you got to have socials or have social experiences that's not necessarily you know, in work or deadline time when people are stressed, um, you know, you want to, outside of those periods, take people outside of the work environment um, and have a social or some kind of thing um, that bridges the gap. So I do like the fact that Impact, you know, had like a Women's Day thing the other day at work um, and they're always very mindful of the cultures and communicating. I think communicating and having an understanding is really the best thing. Um, giving people an opportunity to speak about their cultures, you know, like I enjoy that when it's Ramadan, an impact will have someone explain the huddle, what that is, what that means, you know, for people that don't understand or aren't aware of it, um, which goes a long way. Amazing. Another question from him is, how has your organization done a spectacular job managing a multinational team? So now you're going to teach us. I was going to say, maybe it's going to be no more questions from Frank after this. No, I'm just That's joking. the last one. Um, I, won't get, I won't give him another chance. Or not. No, 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 no. Um, he's, he's allowed to put me in the hot seat because I do it for me every month. You know, he doesn't always get this opportunity. So have we done a good job? I mean, I think I've, to be honest, I think I've been seeing impact phases a lot. Um, but I mean, mainly a lot of it is about communication. You know, I think having good communication and communicating the things that I've discussed um, already go a long way of making sure that everybody understands, you know, when you communicate, oh, it's a US bank holiday, then I bear that in mind, you know, otherwise, I'll just wake up and I'll be messaging and emailing people and wondering why nobody's getting back to me. But that doesn't happen because I'm already aware um, that it's a US bank holiday happening as an example. I would also say, you know, I enjoy the fact that Frank makes a very big effort to ensure that there's should I say actually Frank and the overall executive leadership team make sure that there's um, a lot of travel between the US and South Africa. So like I've met Frank quite a few times. That's why he can ask me these questions and throw me all these curveballs um, because, yeah, he's come to visit and that definitely goes a long way. Even the auditors came over to visit this year, which was great. Um, they don't send me any more 9 p.m. meeting requests. They understand the time zone now. You know, um, they, 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 they looked at me and they said, well, you know, we understand now. And so now our latest meeting from them is like 5 p.m. Um, so I think just always trying to find an opportunity, even if it's just once a year, for people to uh, get together is really good. And Frank is always putting people together cross-functionally, which works very well. You know, so you'll take a couple of people from different departments and just problem solve this thing. Um, and that helps, you know, just knock our heads together. And I've made a lot of friends as a, as a result of that. And one more interesting question from Sean, who says, what was your highest moment in your work life? Interesting question, that one, but I'm going to leave that to you. Oh, dear. That's actually quite a difficult one. Oh, like you I'm haven't reached there yet. Of, 
I think that's the best answer. <laughs> I mean, I guess, no, I don't think, I think, you know, there'll be another high point, another high point. Um, I think the highest moment was when I arrived and I looked at the system, there were some certain goals that I had in mind of what I wanted to change, how I wanted to change it. I had this vision in my mind of how we should be doing it and, and that it's going to work, you know. And I'm so grateful, obviously, that Frank and the rest just backed me. You know, they weren't like looking at me with these crazy visions. And um, it took about two years for that to unravel. So I would say at the moment, my highest point would be putting in like a good two solid years of hard work with lots of um, people assisting as well, and finally managing to see the outcome of that, um, yeah, finally unfold. I think it's nice to get the end of the road, in a sense, um, of a project. Amazing. Any last few words from you or anything we didn't discuss that you'd like the audience to know? Um, maybe if there's only one lesson that I can give everyone, it's, I guess, not to be too stressed about where you'll be in 10 years' time, you know, Make sure you're not close to any opportunities and make sure that you nurture your network um, of people, no matter in what capacity you're in. Even if you're at a client and you think this industry, you're never going to be involved with it. You know, nurture those relationships because that client could be your future hiring manager or, you know what I mean? Um, or they could just become actually your new mentor that is there to assist you through some really tough periods in your professional life. So I would definitely say that's one thing I can add is that, you know, you should always nurture your network and, you know, don't be afraid to, to make mistakes, especially earlier on in your career, as long as you, you're growing from it. I think that's a great way to end. The show has been live on YouTube and will be available on podcast by tomorrow. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast and you feel that it's added value, don't forget to like, subscribe, and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. Dominique, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much to you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Goodbye. Cheers.